everybody, welcome back to the Gray Malkin Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Once a month, we get to record my favorite episode with my favorite people, where we put a character or two on trial. Uh, today is our trial episode. We are uh, focusing on the characters Vanisher and Eunice the Untouchable. Uh, one of whom I love and the other whom I'm eh about. <laughs> we'll talk about uh, so I'm going to do a little intro before we introduce our jury. Every issue in the early X-Men books, uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby would come up with a new type of foe for the mutants to struggle against. First, there was Magneto, who took over a missile base and threatened humanity. Second was the Vanisher, the man who disappeared at any side of danger, and he threatened to sell national defense secrets to a foreign power. Third, where there was the Blob, the misfit who couldn't be moved. Fast forward a couple of issues and we get Eunice the Untouchable, an arrogant wrestler with an unbreakable force field who fights the X-Men while auditioning for the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Thus, two of the earliest foes of the X-Men were untouchable men, one who vanishes and one who has a skin-tight force field, and neither of them are well-remembered or often utilized. Uh, so I'm going to let my jury introduce themselves uh, as they are. We were just talking before. It is so lovely to have people that I just get to chill out and laugh and have fun with. I look forward to these every month. I'm so happy you're all here. Uh, as you're introducing yourselves, let us know your gender pronouns, where we might know you from. And uh, before this trial, did you ever think of The Vanisher or Eunice the Untouchable? And if so, why and when? <laughs> what's, a, what's a place you remember them fondly from, either or both? Uh, let's begin with my dear friend, Noelle Reed. How are you, Noelle? Great. So excited to be here, as always. Um, I'm Noelle, she, her, and I host the X-Men Unraveled podcast. I really don't think of these two characters a whole lot. I feel like my strongest memory is the first time I covered the issue with the Vanisher, and I was looking at him, and I'm like, he looks like a lizard. He, that's all I can think of when I look at him. So he's he's the lizard guy in my head, which makes no sense, kind of, as he's, his character goes. He's a lizard without his costume, too. You know he's all leathery. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> uh, and let's go next to my friend Hussein Rashid. It's so good to see you, Hussein. Thanks for having me on, Chad. Good to see so many familiar faces here on Zoom. Uh, Hussein Rashid, he, him. Um, I wish you would know me we're quoting a book on Miss Marvel called uh, Miss Marvel's America, No Normal. Please go buy it. Uh, but you probably now know me as a Gray Malkin Irregular, uh, which is the term we've adopted, I think, uh, Chad. And, uh, you know, I'm the guy who tries to keep taking lemons from the tree overgrowing the hedge. And Professor X <laughs> keeps erasing my mind, that jerk. Uh, and so I keep doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, my uh, Eunice and Vanish, who I was like, you sent me this. I was like, who are these people? And I was reading these stories, and I'm like, I love these stories, and I still have no idea who these people are. Um, but I do remember the Eunice story where he could not eat. He, he like he something had been done to him where he couldn't eat. And I, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, but I because I know we're going to talk about it. But I was like, yeah, I do remember that story and thinking how funny it was at the time. And now I'm thinking, oh, that is really cruel and unusual and psychopathic. Uh, I was recording with Derek Kunskin uh, just earlier today on a different episode. He says to tell everyone hello, by the way. And he he says, this podcast is often unkind to Professor X. I'm like, yes, yes, we are. <laughs> I'm so okay with that. <laughs> hilarious <laughs> understatement. <laughs> uh, let's go next to uh, my friend Steve Duda. How are you, Steve? 
I'm good. It's good to see you again, Chad. Good to see all of your uh, very familiar faces. I've been with you all on different trials and episodes before. Feels like I'm in a room full of old friends. Yeah. Uh, my, my name is Steve. Uh, my pronouns are they and them, and uh, I'm a regular contributor to Access for Podcast, which you can find on Twitter and Instagram at Access for Podcast. And I, I, I guess I'm also an irregular on Grey Malkin Lane. I've done, I think, three or four of these trials now, and I keep coming back for other episodes, and I have a blast every time I do it. And uh, I, I'm, I'm mostly familiar with The Vanisher from Fallen Angels, which means I have like a, a great deal of sympathy for this character. Like he's not a good guy in that series, and like he's he's actively a bad person. But like, I don't know. That series is so fun, and he's sort of like the. <sighs> Like the John to Garfield, if the whole team is Garfield in that series, <laughs> you know, like I don't know, he's he's very fun in that, and I also know him other than that from uh, the X Force run, in which he's essentially their like slave operative, which makes me feel even more sympathetic to him because like that was that was so wrong, that was so wrong the things they did with the Vanisher. Um, Unis is a character who I like, I like know of, I know of the thing where he couldn't eat, you know, like. We've all seen the early issues. Like I must have read them a long time ago and forgotten about them. But mostly, I just remember him from like part of him is used to make up uh, Rasputin in Powers of Ten, and then he also shows up again in the Ten of Swords. So I'm very fresh in my memory with his weird tiny appearances in this current Krakoan era. Beautiful. And then uh, I'm so happy to welcome back my dear friend Justin Wilder. How are you, Justin? I'm doing well, Chad. How are you? I'm good, my friend. Tell us about yourself. Oh, glad to hear it. Well, my name is Justin. I use he, him pronouns. And I, very similar to Steve, I know both of these characters from the couple of appearances that they just outlined. Fallen Angels was a fan favorite of mine from back in the day. Uh, the the classic one, not the Krakoan era reboot. And I didn't like that one. I just want to make sure that we know that. <laughs> but I just, I love that that team. And I just love that idea too. I mean, Vanisher's not the greatest person in the world in that. And he's just kind of pimping out these kids for their abilities to, to steal stuff. Yes. But that as an idea is awesome. And uh, just even reading your summary of him, I was like, wow, am I identifying with the Vanisher? Like he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to get a hit. He doesn't want to fight. He just, he's just using his power to steal things and do crime and get out safely. I'm like, yeah, bro. Same. And, and occasionally sell drugs. <laughs> I do. I do love all of those things in a fictional character uh, right. from doing petty crimes to just trying to get by to selling drugs. Always, always going to make me like a character. We call, we call petty crimes, baby crimes on this show. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, this does a lot of very baby crimes. <laughs> baby crimes in that like with Eunice, he's just there. Like he's not even really doing a whole lot. He's just kind of there. You can't touch him. And he makes a threatening statement here or there. You know, I remember him from Ten of Swords. Uh, I remember him from Powers of Ten being referenced in that data page. I, I just, other than that, occasional popping up here and there, the, the Defenders and Champions issues that I've now read a couple of times, just, just welcome him back again and again. But at the same time, I'm just like, what are you doing, man? You could do so much more on your own. Just, we're, just go we're getting through the 60s villains slowly, so we'll be past those issues at a particular point, I promise. <laughs> we're, almost, we're almost through the gamut of the 60s villains. Uh, and then last but not least, of course, is my dear friend Alicia Wilder. Welcome back, Alicia. 
Hey, thanks so much. I love being here. Um, thanks for having me. I'm Alicia, she, her, hers. And you would know me from the ex-wife podcast. I right co-host that with my husband over here, Justin. Um, and <laughs> also, I guess, previous trials. Um, I don't know anything about these people before this. I had a hot minute where I thought Uranus was who we were talking about. Like <laughs> the guy that's just currently in uh comics in AXE. So that was that was a fun moment for me to go, nope, no, different person. Um I didn't know anything about them. And even Justin was like, yeah, they've been in Krakoa. And I was like, cool, I don't remember anything, apparently. So I it was fun for me. I like getting to to read the you know 60s villains and just the occasional cheesy bit of dialogue and then the more so than occasional moment where I go oh that's sexist um it's fun for me to to point those things out so <laughs> it is a good time uh I enjoy that as well uh lastly I'm Chad Anderson I use he him pronouns I uh I love both of these characters but I love The Vanisher a lot more. There's something so camp in 60s about The Vanisher, and he's kind of never got out of that. They update him once in a while, but he's still that same shitty old guy from X-Men number two. In the second episode of my podcast, we're reading him for filth in the episode. This is way back at the beginning, before my podcast even became anything. And I'm like, this guy dresses in head-to-toe snake skin. He goes out in Palm Springs, hires a prostitute, brings him home, does the job and then disappears without having to pay him. Like that's that's this character for me. <laughs> he's, he's, he wants attention and he doesn't want any commitment. And there's something so camp about him. Uh, the syphilis storyline in X-Force is my easily my favorite. We'll get there in a, in a discussion in a while. Eunice, uh, my favorite moment with Eunice is just the image of Blob sitting in traffic crying over his friend having died. That's my single favorite Eunice story, even though it's not really a Eunice story. But I uh, that issue, I think it's Peter Parker 91 that uh, I, I adore or 81. I, I, I adore that uh, that connection. The Blob Eunice uh, gay romance. I wish, you had given me, I wish you had given me a prior warning because you know how much I love Black Tom and uh, Juggernaut. I came into this not realizing that there was going to be a very similar dynamic developing between those two, and I fell in love with them. That was a I'm a Eunice fan. We yeah. are we call them blueness on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump in today. I uh, I'm already smiling huge, so I'm uh, I'm happy to have you guys here. Uh, well, first, let's talk about the Vanisher. We'll do uh, Eunice in the second half of the podcast. We always like to talk about people first, and then we put them on trial. Uh, so let's talk about the Vanisher for a minute. First thing you need to know about this guy is supposedly his real name is Telford E. Porter. Uh, let's assume that's not his real name, and he made it up for effect, because that's a ridiculous supervillain day. But Telford E. Porter, uh, much like Tell E. Porter, uh, I don't know. We can stop there. Any any thoughts on Vanisher's name? It makes me so happy. <laughs> I love the thought that it's real. <laughs> no way. That his, oh, that it like, has some to be real. Like, if your name is Amy Freeze, you become a weather person. You know, like, that's what you do with your life. There's no way you're telling me Amy Freeze's name is fake. Uh, I'm, Steve, I'm there with you. His name has to be real. It's got to be Tell E. Porter. Otherwise, we don't get his power set. It was assigned at birth. I have never met a person named Telford in my life, but now <laughs> I'm Telford. Yeah, that's a new one. 
<laughs> so the Vanisher likes attention. He likes showing you how much better he is than you. In his first appearance in X-Men number two, he's dressed head to toe in scaly red snake skin with a piece that extends up behind his head like a cobra and a white diamond on the back of the head. There's a long black snake that winds down the center like a, an insignia. He's got black boots, black gloves, and a purple billowing cape and a black domino mask that's unlike any other mask I can quite think of. He's bald and almost frail looking. I got to interview Tom Brevoort on the podcast. Noel was with me for that one. And we talked about the Vanisher briefly. And Tom posits that this maybe was supposed to be the Cobra, but Cobra was debuting in another title. So they maybe gave him a different name at the last minute and just used the Jack Kirby design. Uh, in this issue, Vanisher walks right up to the police and announces his intention to later rob the bank. It's almost like he's daring them. He has a gas gun, he robs the bank and engages in his signature move, which is just fucking disappearing as a little small white blip closes in on itself, like the final image of light on a television screen that's shutting off. He gets himself a gang and then does the same with the country's continental defense plans. He announces, I'm going to steal these plans and then later goes back to get them. Uh, he, he has a temper and a mighty sense of self-preservation. He's only willing to put himself in danger if there is direct and immediate gain for him. He'll take what he needs and then, well, vanish again and again. But he has been defeated multiple times. In the first appearance, Xavier completely erases his identity. He later shows back up with Factor 3, who is a group of mutants uh, fighting for mutant supremacy. Uh, and they, uh, they fight the X-Men, and he does not like the X-Men much. He views them as people who have betrayed mutant kind by allying themselves with humans. Uh, two quotes from X-Men number two, his first appearance, written by Stan Lee. He says, quote, as a true mutant, as a member of Homo Superior, I have the ability to tele teleport myself to any place I can think of at an unimaginable speed. And then later he recruits some humans and he's smoking a long old cigarette like some 1940s actress. And he says, it's only fitting that Homo Superior should be served by the inferior Homo Sapiens. Therefore, I shall allow you to become my lackeys. There's something very like... Uh, uh, Gloria Gaynor, or I don't know, uh, there's there's like a drama about him in his early appearances. It's uh, Sunset Boulevard, right? He's like descending down the stairs. Gloria Swanson? <laughs> That's what I bet, yeah. Yeah, I was like, it can't be Gloria Gaynor. I feel like it's Gloria Swanson. Wrong Gloria, everybody. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Vanisher's power is just to vanish. He blips out. He can take full teams with him. He instantaneously goes from one place to another on a global level. In Champions number 17, after Dark Star hits him with the Dark Force, his powers malfunction and traps him half in our world and half in another dimension. And we learn for the first time that he passes through other dimensions or even alternate realities before he returns to a different place on Earth. Sometimes he likes to spend time in those other dimensions, particularly when he's getting a lot of attention. Side note, when Darkstar hit him with the Dark Force, he could briefly manipulate the Dark Force, uh, which is uh, what brought him into the New Warriors when Fabian Nicieza wrote uh, the Darkling going after all the Dark Force characters. We're not putting him on trial for that, but side note for him, that went away pretty quickly. He also has a gas gun. He can knock people out with it that he uses in his early appearances. Uh, Vanisher is definitely a coward. He's obsessed with his own self-importance and with self-preservation. And almost the only way to hurt him is to either get him telepathically to hit him before he can move, 
or to know where he's going to teleport in advance so you can get there before he does. He basically gets two kind of story portrayals over the last 50, 60 years, though he's used relatively infrequently. He's either the career criminal who shows up in the background alongside of other criminals. He's barely there and he gets very little criminal or character development. And his example uh, more prominently is in, in spaces like when he's with S.W.O.R.D., or the new enforcers. He's kind of one character in a cast of characters. Or he's sometimes brought into a team more prominently, like with Factor 3 or X-Force or the Fallen Angels, like we've talked about. But he's usually portrayed as the joke character. I love the analogy of John to Garfield here. Uh, as, uh, he's, he's the comic relief. In X-Force, they are constantly beating him up, stabbing him, cutting off limbs, and they can just heal him because uh, Elixir's there. And it's, it's, a, it's a comedy. It's a, it's a bloody horror comedy. And Vanisher is the character that's made fun of constantly. Uh, Fallen Angels is one of the very few series where we do see him featured a little bit. He's kind of the Fagin, Oliver Twist style, assembling all the groups of teenage pickpockets. There's characters like Boom Boom and Sunspot and Warlock and Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur and Ariel and uh, Chance and uh, Siren and Multiple Man. It's, it's quite a big, robust cast. But he's established a place called Beat Street. The fashions are very 1980s. It's kind of wonderful. And uh, this is the big Coconut Grove storyline. He, uh, he wants the teens to steal and then like basically pay him a rate for giving him a place to live. And this is all very reasonable for him, though he's constantly disappearing and never giving anyone a chance to put him in any kind of danger. Uh, he wants the easy life. <clears throat> we see in later appearances allusions that he drinks a lot. He visits brothels a lot and he tosses money around everywhere. He hangs out in a lot of bars in his later appearances. Uh, he was once trapped in one of the dimensions he can pass through where he had to read stories to rabid bunnies in order to keep them calm. This <laughs> is during the John Francis Moore X-Force run uh, where Warpath arrives to save him on behalf of Sledge. We get a more savage vanisher in the last 20 years or so. Uh, he has safe houses around the world, uh, the, the, the visits to brothels. He deals drugs and uh, mutant growth hormone. At one point, he got a series of intense tattoos on his face, shoulders and arms. <clears throat> he beefed up a little bit when he was an X-Force. Uh, overall, <laughs> there's some really comical storylines about him, but this is a character that's not given a lot of feature. We know nothing about his background, and we kind of have to intuit what his motivations are. He has been seen on Krakoa on the sword station. Uh, he's one of the groups of teleporters that work together to summon Mysterium. Uh, but again, not rarely or not not often a feature character, with the exception of Fallen Angels and X-Force. Uh, let's talk about this character. When we stack all his appearances up over time, they're infrequent. What are some of the stories that you love and or hate? What do you like or dislike about this guy? Uh, what's his place in the X-Men franchise? Let's talk Vanisher for just a few minutes. Everything you said just makes him like me more and more, make, makes me like him more and more. It's like, all right, he's out for himself. He's not really doing anything terrible, right? You know, he's just baby crimes and self-preservation. Guy knows what he's doing. He knows what he's after. He tries to do some bigger things with some other people, but he's just here to have a good time. I just picture him as like comically evil. Like even though he's not specifically a mustache twirling bad guy, I think of him <clears throat> as a mustache twirling bad guy. You know, like he's just like, <laughs> I love to be evil, but I'm not very good at it. 
Um, yeah, I, I really like Vanisher as the kind of guy who's like cowardly and always wants to save his own skin and basically is like kind of like Toad in a lot of ways, except for just like less off-putting than Toad sometimes is, like at least outwardly. But like he's the kind of guy who just like wants to get out of a place. When he when he gives that whole thing about like how the X-Men have been betrayed mutant kind by siding with humans, I don't think I buy any of that from him. It's just like whatever to suck up to like Magneto or whoever might be around. <laughs> I just like I like him as the guy who's just like, yeah, whatever like really does it for me. I just need enough money to like buy the booze and women that I want and to go to the brothels, to go to the strip clubs, to get myself some easy drink and kind of like just chill out. Him and Unis have that in common where they're just like they're crooks, but they're crooks because they just like, you know, don't know how to work a regular job. There's a lot of mutants out there. There's a lot of mutants out there that have very little to do with the X-Men. And he's kind of one of those. We see a lot of these featured in other titles, like Whirlwind is a character that comes to mind, right? But he uh, he is in the X-Men. They use him every once in a while and we'll bring him in in a big way for like an issue or two. But it's almost like a, a writer sees him and like, let's take this old guy and dust him off. We'll, we'll take him for a spin and then spit him back out again. And he's alarmingly consistent because of that, because they never spoke, focus on him. He just disappears. He shows up, commits the crime and leaves again. And there's something that just makes me happy about that. Like, I like him for that reason. I can imagine that he and the Brotherhood go out to dinner all the time and he, without fail, will just disappear on the check. And everybody knows he's going to do it, but he's still laughing to himself about it. I got another free meal. I just love <laughs> The it. rest of them are like, we never expected him to pay anyway. Like, where is he right, getting right. the mic from? I feel like no one's going to invite him to dinner. I can't think of a single character that likes this guy. Yeah. Can you? Is, can you think of a single person who likes him? <laughs> no, not even Boom Boom. <laughs> let's uh let's talk boom boom and vanisher for just a minute this is fun he's he's the guy that trains boom boom to be a thief at the beginning uh what are your thoughts on this relationship in their in their x-factor connection i love what boom boom does to him i think that that relationship where she's just constantly taking the piss out of him makes me that's what makes me happy i i know nothing else about the vanisher except that boom boom hates him and that (laughs) that works for me I can't remember the last time I saw this, but I remember reading one comic somewhere where Boom Boom mentioned something that she learned from the Vanisher when she was first starting out as at, you know doing deep stuff, and like other characters are like kind of surprised by you know the little background that she gives on it. But she likes to she seems like she likes to you know screw with him when she's around him and doesn't really like him, and he really does suck like genu- genuinely, and she has good reason to not like him. But she does seem to have this kind of like fondness for this person who taught her these tricks sometimes. There's this, this only rarely. There's this element of she's like she sees him as kind of boom boom's like a teenage runaway in this in this era, and she's like feed me, give me things, don't expect anything of me, and I'll be your friend. But if you yeah. don't, then I will call you, or I'll call the police, and have them arrest you, and you will not know it's me because I will run away before then. <laughs> she just wants to out bitch him all the time. It's really cute, actually. <laughs> this is one of the few character relationships that he is actually given time to explore. Uh, uh, when we see him in X-Men number two, his penchant for like teleporting in to tell people I'm going to rob you later and then leaving and coming back just warms my heart with happiness. (laughs) You know know what to expect. You know what you're getting. Hey, I'm about to do a crime and then I'm going to go. It's a crime format so goofy that can it even be called a crime? (laughs) Just a fun prank. Yeah, he's clearing himself before he even does anything wrong. 
Right. He's giving you the opportunity to hide your stuff. And if you're choosing not to, basically, you're offering it to him. You're like, oh, no, I'm giving it to you as an offering. That's what it is. No, well, do you have, do you have a favorite Vanisher story? Oh, do I have a favorite? I, I do. I like that first one. The, I love his opinion of himself. That, like, he, it's so high that he's like, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do. And what are you going to do about it? I just love that about him. The And then in his other crimes, he still retains that really high opinion of himself without much to back it up. But he never lets go of it. And I think I, my favorite scene from that story might be when he gathers all his little minions around and he's, oh, I'm just the greatest thing that's ever happened. And Laying back on a cushion with not. a cigarette. Yes, <laughs> I love it. My favorite section is uh, the X-Force Assassination Squad stuff. He has stolen some, like, a sample of the legacy virus, which is so dangerous. And X-Force finds out where all his safe houses are. And they just send one of their members to each place. So when Vanisher's caught, like, Wolverine hacks him and then he teleports somewhere else. And then X-23 hacks him and he teleports somewhere else. And then Archangel hacks him and he's, like, coughing up blood at a particular point. And then Elixir grabs him and puts an X-shaped brain tumor in his head. And like, I will not let you uh, live unless you agree to work with our team because they needed a teleporter. So he becomes a member of X-Force against his will. Uh, there's a scene later, and this is my favorite that I've referenced a little earlier, where Vanisher during a moment of danger, I think it's when a bunch of Nimrods are attacking. Vanisher is like, Elixir, please heal me. And Elixir's like, bitch, I healed you months ago. And Vanisher's like, I'm still sick. And, and Elixir's like, that's because you have syphilis. And I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> it makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> Not my fault. That's on you, man. <laughs> Any thoughts on Vanisher as part of the X Force assassination assassination squad? I'm gonna I'm gonna say assassination a whole bunch of times. <laughs> it's it's so terrible to me because it's like yeah okay you cured the brain the brain cancer so you just let a man think that he was dying and had to do everything you asked him as your servants this whole time put him in life or death situations tortured him mutilated him put him back together. Just be and let him die or of syphilis, like elixir. You could cure that too. <laughs> they they not only do not like this guy, they despise him. They take they joy in hacking him. him up. Yeah. It's like it gets to a point where you're like, I need to see this guy do some actually bad stuff in this series, or it just feels like mean and cruel to this poor guy. <laughs> like holy cow. Uh, Hussein, you had a thought right before we started about the section you reviewed for Vanisher. Will you share that with us here? My, you know, so I got this section on Vanisher without giving too much away because I, I need some stuff to, to put him on trial. But he doesn't show up at all in any of the issues I had to read. He's like maybe there for a panel. There's literally two whole issues I read where he's not present at all in the story. Three issues where he doesn't appear in the story at all. Like physically, they just talk about it. I'm like, this is why I don't remember him ever in any of these stories. This is he's never there. Fallen Angels notwithstanding. Is there anything? I had that in, oh, I'm sorry, Noelle, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I had that in my section too. I'd be like reading and reading and I'm like, did I pull the right issue? Where is the Vanisher? I am waiting for him to show up. <laughs> is there and, you know, the funny thing about, is. Oh, oh, God, I keep interrupting. Sorry, no, I was just going to say, and, and to, to, to Noelle's point, you know, when Chad sends us the list, I always make sure because you know we've got multiple volumes of X Force and multiple volumes of X Factor and all this. So I was like read the synopsis to make sure I'm pulling from the right volume. And he doesn't appear in any comic descriptions. I'm like, <laughs> wait, which one is Chad talking about? Which volume? 
You can always text me, my friend. I will be here. Oh, no, no, I will. But I like I don't like burning. But the thing is, he doesn't even show up in the descriptions. This is part of the plot point. Uh, is there anything redeemable about this character? He's honest about his dishonesty. Yeah, he's he's very funny. And he, he's never really like that bad. Like, yeah, the guy does like regular level bad things a lot of the time. I mean, I'm sure he does like really bad stuff. But he's not like... A genocidal conqueror from another time. He's not somebody trying to take over the world. He's not like a random murderer, at least most of the time. Uh, I'm sure he has committed murders if I'm not thinking of them. If I had teleportation powers, I'd be hard pressed not to do the type of shit that he's doing. <laughs> like, I, come on, I could, I could. Yeah, just, just running away and like doing doing some baby crimes is like, man, that's, is that even a crime? I mean, yes, but no. <laughs> and I. As a Magneto fan, like I like a villain like a Vanisher. He doesn't have an agenda. He's not like out to conquer the world. He's here for a good time and if, hopefully a long time. Like that's his, his motto. I don't think it's never. I don't think it's ever a long time for this guy. Uh, X Men One is Magneto. X Men Two is Vanisher. He's the second foe he's they've ever faced, but he's like Z list where Magneto's like tier one top of the alphabet uh uh I, why has he never made it bigger do you think i don't know you go up against magneto like if you're if you're trying to wrestle magneto for a top spot there's no way i think it's the outfit <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't have enough style to be you know an a-list villain or even a b-list villain do you do you think maybe it's because he never joined the thieves guild and never got a chance to train with Gambit? Is is that is that what's happening here? He just couldn't hit that level without the guild. I bet he tried, and then they put him through training in five minutes, and he's like, "Fuck this noise!" and teleported out. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go. This man, this man has no patience for anything or anyone inconvenient, uh, and that's why Fallen Angels is so funny because he just like ah disappears, like it's it's constant, like they they they, they capture that moment of his character and then uh, and then go Noel, you're gonna get in your trial section to uh, kind of the one spot in his history where he's a little bit more savage, uh, a little bit more reprehensible. Uh, what are your thoughts in the in this context of his kind of portrayal or personality? What are your thoughts on this era of his history? I was not impressed by him as a villain. I think my, uh, you know, not to jump ahead of myself, but I think my <laughs> defining thing was like, he tried some bad stuff, but he was so bad at it that I don't know. I wasn't super convinced that he's a really, he just doesn't have the follow through to be a really bad guy. Oh, Telford. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, any other thoughts on the vanisher before we jump in what do you think of his uh his power set or i think one of the big things that has not been explored about this guy is the extra dimensional uh element of his power uh nightcrawler passes through other dimensions right we, we've seen elements of that magic passes through other dimensions so does vanisher and he's had a couple stories where we see glimpses of that when he's in the uh, in the Nightcrawler story in Bizarre Adventures 27, we get some glimpses of that. Nightcrawler and Vanisher pass through some alternate worlds where they see kind of some cartoony or alternate versions of themselves very briefly, but it's like six or eight images on one page and that's it. Uh, and then we get that thing where he's trapped in the dimension with the rabid bunnies that I mentioned. Uh, but I, I feel like that's one aspect of his power that's kind of unexplored. Uh, uh, there is... <laughs> 
in that same Nightcrawler story, Vanisher has landed in a dimension where there's a bunch of women who worship him. And he's like, I'm just staying here. And Nightcrawler's like, no, you're coming home. And he's like, no, don't drag me home, please. They love me here. Uh, I, we really don't get a lot of that side of his character, though. Uh, although it's 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 interesting. I don't know. Thoughts there? Yeah. Nightcrawler's my favorite mutant. Magic is up there on the list. And to see what he is able to do with his teleportation abilities. You know, he doesn't have a lot of friends, but if he did, he could travel with them. And that's interesting. That's just a an added bonus that Nightcrawler doesn't have. Magic often does. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm just like gushing over him. I'm just, I, I want more from him. I want him to have a chance to not necessarily make up for himself. Cause what has he even done? You know, to just, to just hang out and do more stupid stuff. Where does he lean? Where does he go? What if he's got free reign? If he's on Krakoa and can do whatever he wants, what are his tendencies pulling him towards? Mm. It's interesting the, those three characters as an example, Nightcrawler, Magic, and Vanisher. How different all of their power signatures are, even though they're kind of doing the same thing. Uh, there's different visuals in association. What would it take to make the Vanisher a fan favorite? What story do we need to make him someone that people think about? He's actually seeing... in it for more than a couple panels. <laughs> he, needs yes. one, he needs a series of him as an escape artist, like a series that he's leading, written by Tom King, in which he is an escape artist <laughs> for 12 issues. And it's probably what he needs to become a fan favorite. Put Mitch Gerads on the book. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, what were your thoughts? Um, I was going to say, he. I think he needs something kind of like the Toad. I think, Steve, you mentioned the Toad earlier. And we don't get a whole lot of Toad's backstory, but there's always this element. You feel bad for him. He has that like kind of pull on your heart a little bit. And the Vanisher seems very unlikable. Like he, as much as we're all talking about, I don't know if anybody wants to actually hang out with him. And like, why is that? Like, what what's in his past? Is it something tragic? Was he just born an asshole? Like, what's going on there? Like more of who he is as a person. So he either needs the trauma background or like people who care about him, or he has to do something really reprehensible, like so awful that you're like, oh God, this guy's a terrible villain. And then we want more, right? Then he becomes like arcade level where we smile because he's awful, but also he's really a terrible person. I can't wait, by the way, for the trial of arcade. We'll get there eventually, but that's going to be a fun one. <laughs> uh, Chad, I, I just have to say, what this, this conversation has given me a lot of new insight into so to Vanisher. And I have to say, I absolutely believe his name is Telford because if you tell me he does petty crimes just because he can, if you tell me he steals just because he can, he doesn't want to do any work. He gets other people to work for him so he can take their profits. He is absolutely a British colonizer. His name is Telford. That is, and that's why nobody likes him and why everybody wants to forget him. I love I love a camp villain name where you have no choice but to become a supervillain. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Uh, little... What was that, Alicia? Your parents did this to you. They named you and they gave you a path and you have to stick to it now. Yeah. Look what happened to Telly Savalas. <laughs> supervillain. <laughs> okay, well, I'm smiling a lot. This is great. Uh, we're going to jump into the trial portion now. There's not a lot to explore on this character. 
Uh, when we're going through this section, each jury member has been assigned one section of one character's history where they are going to give us a prosecution and a defense, and we will discuss before voting. The voting scale runs from one to five. Each person gets one vote, including me. One is justifiable action. Two is morally concerning. Three is definitely inappropriate. Four is over the line into criminal behavior. And five is pure evil. Terrible voting scale. We're going to keep using it. So I hope you enjoy what we're doing. All right. Trial point one is what we just call mutant affairs. And Alicia is uh, our jury member assigned to this section. In his first appearance, the Vanisher warned the police that he would rob a bank and then did so. Then he teleported into the Pentagon and announced he would return to steal their continental defense plans. He steals the plans, gathers a gang, returns and demands $10 million, but the X-Men defeat him by simply erasing his memory. Professor X, uh, after his memories return, Vanisher joins the group Factor 3, and they're making plans to conquer the world on behalf of mutants. But when they realized the leader of Factor 3 was an alien conqueror, he sided with the X-Men to defeat him, despite the fact that he had voted to have the X-Men executed earlier uh, in the same adventure. Later, he was captured by some Sentinels alongside many other mutants. Vanisher then reprogrammed some Sentinels and used them on a mission against the Champions, whose member included Angel and Iceman of the X-Men. In the end of this story... The X-Men turned on the Vanisher's allies, who were Blob, Eunice the Untouchable, and Lorelei. And Darkstar's powers interacted with Vanisher, leaving him trapped halfway through teleportation, with half of him in the Dark Force dimension and half of him in our world. The key issues here are X-Men number 2, X-Men 37 through 39, and Champions number 17. Uh, Let's turn it over to my friend Alicia. Okay, okay. Listen, first of all, I I kept my mouth shut during the beginning of our conversation because everybody was over here talking about just willy-nilly crimes. But let's not just completely forget about the attempted genocide that happens, okay, right now. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it seriously. And I think these trials have made me look at every single issue I read and try really hard to think on the the two extremes what how is this the worst case scenario and how is this the best case scenario so we're going to start with the prosecution okay let's let's talk about it the biggest takeaway here is the escalation of the crimes they're progressing in villainy okay we're starting out with a simple bank robbery no humans are harmed everyone's fine and then we're ending in a place where his intentions are to wipe out the entire human race so that mutants can rule the world and he can be a part of that so yeah no big deal small baby crimes robbing a bank however tampering with government and military equipment to you know set off bombs and create create world war three and all of this craziness in an attempt to kill a bunch of people is not really a great quality in a person you know, that I think escalates him to a little bit more than a baby crimes villain. Um, we're really thinking about the fact that he's proven time and time again that he has no problem completely destroying the human race to get where he wants to be and that he does believe himself to be superior and he doesn't want to coexist. He wants to destroy. And so that idea of wiping out an entire race to better yourself is a big no-no in the world in the world of justice okay we don't do that around here so 
I just think we really need to look at him as maybe having a personality that uh, shows you right up front that he maybe is fun and we can laugh at him. But deep down inside, he's got dark dreams and he's actually more evil than we give him credit for. Uh, On the defense side, I will say, yes, he uses a, a gas gun. So we're just putting people to sleep and that's not lethal force. But then on the flip side, eventually he does do some pretty bad things like trying to bomb countries and destroy human life. So what we're looking for here is a way to sort of lessen those crimes, but not completely deny them because uh, we all know that he's a villain through and through. I will say that uh, Charles Xavier wiping his mind really sets him up to be in a prime place to be brainwashed by this alien who he thinks is also a mutant, who he thinks is a leader that he can trust, who is on his same side. So in that, in that, you know, yes, Professor Xavier is a jerk. That's the key, key rule here. Um, But really like sets him up to be in a bad place. He could have left that moment and gone and lived a fresh life, but no, he was brainwashed back into this idea of, you know, mutants are superior and he must kill all of the humans. And, you know, I think if we want to think of him in terms of someone like Magneto, he has a cause and that is that mutants are better than humans. And at least he believes in something. So basically what I'm trying to get you all to understand is that, you know, the man does crimes. He's evil. He's criminal. And but Charles Xavier also kind of ruined him. So that's my. He's the one we should have on trial. (laughs) Missed that trial. (laughs) But, you know, I think I really just want to point out. I really I really want you all to take away from this from both you know, prosecution and defense side, my strongest point here is that he did want to kill all of humanity. He did want to, okay? He liked to also rob a bank and blackmail government officials, but he also wanted to murder all of the world. And so maybe it was attempted murder, but it was still murder. There is an interesting progression of his crimes in this early section. Bank robbing, continental defense plans, which is obviously a pretty big deal. But then he gets his mind wiped and suddenly it's, I fucking hate the X-Men. So he allies with other mutants and like, let's create a mutant space for us. Who cares about the humans? Then the Sentinels capture him after he uh, leaves the factor three where, I don't know where he learned to reprogram Sentinels, but his next mission is let's go after the X-Men. It's like, uh, it's like he blames them for his shit and I get it. (laughs) I kind of, I kind of understand it. And and in that moment, too, of reprogramming the Sentinels, you know, like, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to use the Sentinels to destroy my enemy, the X-Men. However, Sentinels are normally programmed to, to not harm humans, and he alters them so that they can kill humans as well. So, not a good dude. Fair. Good dude. Uh, Steve, go ahead. Oh, this is so tough, because on the one hand, a lot of a lot of the things the manager tries to do in here that I would call outright criminal behavior and even morally concerning or inappropriate, he doesn't like actually get to do them a lot of the time. You know, if he fails at them, I know that intent is a lot of a lot of the action of justice, but in in terms of like the impact, Banisher has so little in these stories. However, I'm and this might surprise you, I'm inclined to throw the book at this guy because a thing that really riles me up is mutants using sentinels against other mutants. I don't care why. I don't care what for. Shaw, fuck you. You're dead. 
be dead shy. <laughs> but like using sentinels against other mutants is like it's something that like really makes me angry at a character, like no matter when it's been done. So yeah, I don't know. This is a this is a four on this section. <laughs> Well, I wasn't voting yet, but I will go ahead and write your vote. Oh, I'm voting. Uh, no, you're, you're great. Are there any other thoughts or, or questions on this section before we vote here? Seems like it's the X-Men's fault. You know, it seems like it's Charles Xavier's fault to wipe away his sense of self and his memories. And the only thing, if, if you woke up one day and the only thing that you remember is the X-Men mess with your mind, what would you commit your entire life to but destroying the X-Men? Excuse me, whose side are you on here? I'm on the side of justice. I'm on the I, I will side say of hanging out and being a part of the Venisher's gang. I'm just a human that's willing to break stuff as long as we got a cool getaway. Dang. I wouldn't like the messing with the mind at all. And I think that is something that Charles Xavier does far too often and goes too oh. far with. But if we're if we're saying that that's justified for attacking the X-Men, then there's like an entire half a continent of people ready for that. Sure. I'm with Steve on this one. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm with Steve on this one. It's like, you can hate Professor X, you can fight the X-Men, but the second you start using Sentinels as a mutant on mutant, nah, nah, that's a line there. It's nasty. And not only that, but like, oh, sorry, go ahead, Noah. I'll go after Oh, sorry. I was just saying, in these early years, the X-Men are great at making enemies. They, It's like that's their main purpose in life is making people hate them. Like, I don't, they're very, they're very good at that. Alicia? Just the deep plotting of using the Sentinel, you know, like having members of his team interwoven into the X, like working with the X-Men. And then he's like, no, I'm peeking in the shadows because the Sentinels are coming for you. Like, that wasn't the uh you know spontaneous oh let me trick the sentinel into killing you it was like no i plotted for the sentinel to come find you uh xavier did mind wipe him and i do not like that however he also did attack the united states capital and it tried to extort continental defense plans which is a pretty escalated threat there's a moment in that issue by the way i'm just remembering where Iceman starts to freeze the vanisher and he teleports like 10 feet away where it's a little warmer and all the ice melts it's so stupid. <laughs> it's warmer over here than heaters above us. <laughs> well, uh, in those issues, the the phrase "I am a true mutant," "I am a true mutant" is really, I think, one of my favorite things because you know, I didn't know there was like mutant and then true mutant, but he's he's a level above. He is narcissistic. Uh, let's uh, let's vote on this section. We have a, a four from Steve, and I'm actually giving him a four as well, although I'm very fond of him as well. Uh, Justin, what is your vote? One, no. <laughs> no. Probably three. Probably three. Definitely inappropriate. He, you know, he's growing in some stuff, but he never accomplishes any of it, and he's upfront about what he's about to do. He is certainly old enough to know better. <laughs> He's a child. He is the theoretical equivalent of a child with his mind erased. Oh, and that's then later, an actual child. But not here. If he was in a therapy session with me, I'd be like, you could have just teleported in and stolen those plans. The fact that you told them you were going to steal them makes me think you really wanted to be stopped. Like, we'd have to explore his motivation. <laughs> Noel, <laughs> Noel, what's your vote? I'm going to go for, like, 
I don't think he continues in this direction, but he's trying. He's trying to get to like a, a super villain status here. He's he's doing his best. The same. I'm I'm torn on this one. You know, he Professor X erases his mind. He gets in trouble for invading the Capitol, which we know doesn't happen in the real world. Uh, so, like, you know, but he gets. Uh, thank you, Alicia, for getting that. Uh, the the uh, Sentinel thing is a thing for me, so maybe I've got to settle in on a four on that. And Alicia. Oh yeah, it's a four. Okay, he wasn't successful, so we can't give him a five, but it's a four, hands down. That is a 23 out of 30 in section one. And section two, we call career criminal. This is a, a Hussein section. Vanisher begins wearing, well, after he escapes from his dark force dimension in that adventure with Nightcrawler that I mentioned, which is fun. Go read it. Uh, Vanisher begins wearing all black and training teenage girls, including Boom Boom, how to pick pockets in exchange for their profits being given back to him. After this, he has even more teens committing crimes and fallen angels. We're not going to put him on trial for that section because it's adorable. <laughs> Vanisher joins a team alongside many other supervillains, and they call themselves the New Enforcers. And they want to establish a criminal base in New York City. They try to assassinate their competition, the Blood Rose. But Spider-Man defeats him pretty easily. And Vanisher does not show up in this story much. He's very behind the scenes. Later, Vanisher, also behind the scenes, robs an armored car and was arrested, but he disappears out of his cell before his court appearance. Then while working with Sledge and Risque, or Risk, uh, do you guys pronounce that Risk or Risque? Risk. Risk. I, I always say it Risk. It, like, it can't be Risque unless there's like an accent over the E for me. Okay. So. <laughs> So Sledge, yeah, I just was giving that thought. Uh, after uh, while working with Sledge and Risk, he betrayed him, uh, betrayed them, and stole the heart of Pele, which put Hawaii at risk. X Force then forced Vanisher, discovering him after he flirted with Siren at the bar, to give the heart of Pele back. We're overlooking the Rabbit Bunnies story here as well, which is not part of the trial. The key issues for this section is X Factor 11 and 12, Web of Spider-Man 98 through 100, Sensational She-Hulk 59, and X-Force 81. Let me turn it over to Hussein. All right, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the order slightly differently because I need to do the defense in a particular way, but I'm gonna start with the prosecution. So with Web of Spider-Man, he's working with a, a group of superpowered beings in this turf war after the Kingpin disappears and uh, all these people are fighting over the soul of New York and the control of New York. And so he's teleporting these supervillains around, getting people killed, trying to kill people. He is, uh, if he is not responsible for murder himself, he is clearly aiding and abetting. He is very clearly an accomplice, not just an individual murder, but in large scale uh, murder. Um, then we get to X Factor, where we meet him training young girls to be thieves. Uh, so he's endangering minors and uh, forcing them uh, to do his evil deeds, things that he's too scared to do himself, but that he's willing to send minors out to do. Uh, X-Force, he steals, literally steals the beating heart of a god, uh, which, you know, pretty evil. I, I, don't, I don't think that needs to be defined anymore, but if you need more, it's going to destroy Hawaii, just in case people might feel more sympathy for Hawaii. So it'll destroy Hawaii. And then we get to She-Hulk, where he uh, uh, steals from an armored car um, and then lets himself be captured, we assume, before disappearing again out of this scenario. So he is a bad, bad man, and he needs to be punished. He is a soulless, evil bastard who 
just needs to be full out, thrown in jail, lock, throw away the key, etc., etc., etc. On the defense, I don't know how to defend him on Web of Spider-Man. Uh, and and this whole like let me kill let me help kill lots of people like this is just straight up yeah I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm doing it to kill people by the way if anybody ever says X Men is a soap opera these three issues of Web of Spider Man made me cry <laughs> I was like wait there's a six armed Spider Man running around and his parents are alive and and I'm I'm so confused here what is happening making stuff so this this was like okay but Vanisher. I, I don't know how to defend this. I can't. Um, the X Factor one. This is Boom Boom. She's going to be doing this stuff anyway. Vanisher's doing her a favor by making sure she does it right and doesn't end up in jail a lot sooner. So here he's being a good in local parentis. He's being a good mentor and, and um, I wouldn't say father figure, but let's say fun uncle figure who'll run away when the cops come. Uh, you know, but he's sort of like that good that good role model. Um, X Force. Oh God! Uh, as he as he takes the heart of of, of Pele, it feels like this didn't have to be Vanisher. This could have just been anybody. Vanisher's powers don't come into play at all. This is just some dirty old man sitting at a bar that starts flirting with Siren, and it like it almost feels like entrapment. It just feels like. They they did Vanisher dirty here, and I really don't like Vanisher, but it feels like they did him dirty here. Um, and then in She-Hulk, he doesn't even appear at all, ever. His name is mentioned like three times, and then he's just not there. Uh, so there's no indication whether he actually robbed this this car. One thing I have to say about the situational She-Hulk issue, she is <laughs> in a courtroom where they're putting the tinkerer on trial for de- selling defective merchandise. And I don't know if you've seen the She-Hulk TV series, but was this the inspiration for the episode where she has to defend the guy? Or sorry, she's she's suing the guy who makes the bad equipment. Is that is that the inspiration for that episode? Does I can't know? I can't answer that question, but I think it's very likely influences it. Yes, but I have to say that this, reading this also reminded me, like at She-Hulk at her finest. Like I really love this era of She-Hulk. It was just so much fun to reread this. Yeah, I threw that in because the Vanisher is very consistent through this era. Even the Web of Spider-Man stuff, he's very behind the scenes. As long as he doesn't have to get his hands bloody, he doesn't care who dies. It's uh, it's yeah. very consistent with his character the whole time. And the skeevy guy in the bar flirting with Siren, again, <laughs> it's just it's very consistent with what we know about this guy, especially later. Uh, what thoughts do you guys have on this section and or questions do you need to ask? I have a question you, uh, about your opinion. I wanted to know, is why does why does Vanisher steal the heart of Pele exactly during this run of X Force? Like, does it does it relate to him being like in essential slavery to X Force at this time? Like, is oh, it, this is, is this, this no, is no. volume one of X Force. So oh, this is uh, this is like X Force uh, when they were like hitchhiking around the country era, right? Yeah, yeah the road trip era. Yeah, so, this is like basically a New Mutants version version two. So there's no good reason why. There's no, the the there's God. no, there's no, like he's with, with, with sludge and, and risk or risk Q. Uh, maybe that's a better way to do it. Uh, <laughs> but you know, and they steal it, I guess, just to steal it. Um, and they actually do give a reason, which is like, this is a heist and it's a heist they could have passed up, but yeah, that sucks. I don't like, like there's nothing other than that to it. And then he double crosses yeah. them. 
white characters stealing the heart of an indigenous god. I don't I don't need it in the books. <laughs> Again, colonizer. That is right. his name is Telford. You're absolutely right. Uh, let's vote in this section. Uh, Noel, would you like to go first? Yeah, I'm gonna go four. Um, I would go five, but I'm kind of okay with the, you know, I like the storm and the, the young girls learning to steal and, you know, so I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm gonna balance it out with that story with Boom Boom. Justin? It's a four for me. There's some, some definitely, I, I will retract some of the glowing statements I made at the beginning of the show. Uh, to acknowledge some of the larger, not so baby crimes that he's committed in this, but I do like the fact that he's giving back to the community. You know, he has skills <laughs> passing them on. What else would he do if not share in his talents? Uh, Steve, uh, yeah, I'm actually I I love the way Noel put it because I feel the exact same way. I'm giving it a four because I hate that shit with Hawaii. That's uh, inexcusable. It's super bad. But on the other hand, teaching. I don't know how to explain it, but teaching young street girls to do crime is a net positive for society. Um, in this in this role, and please bear with me, it will make no sense, but Telford Porter in this particular role reminds me of like, like he's a member of Star. You know, like he just is like this street queer who is taking in these kids on the street and being like, listen, society will not help you, but I will teach you to survive. And unfortunately in exchange, he's taking all their money, but he's not a good guy. But he's doing the work, and I appreciate that. So four. I still love him in this section, but it's a four. Also, uh, Alicia. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm also going four. I feel you know. I really like. I love Boom Boom. So I feel like anyone who mentors Boom Boom, that's a positive, right? You get a positive point for that. But if we're gonna look at it in the grander scheme of things mentoring children to do crimes sort of makes you also responsible for their crimes. Um, and, you know, the stealing the heart of a God situation is really not great. So we're going to go for, we're going to go for. And Boo Boom was like a child abuse survivor who ran away from home and worked the streets. So like him giving her a place to commit crimes and have a place. I, I don't hate that, but also, yeah, I get it. <laughs> and uh, Hussein. Oh, this is this is gonna be a five for me for two reasons. One, the colonizing crap that happens in Hawaii, and um, look, if you're gonna bring violence to my city, I'm not gonna love you no matter what. And what he did in Spider-Man, nah, uh-uh. Totally fair. That gives us a twenty-five out of thirty in this section. Still an adorable villain, but yes, <laughs> across the way. Uh, section three is what we call drug dealer, uh, calling himself El Hombre que Desparas. Desaparance, excuse me, or the man who disappears, Vanisher employed scientists to extract spinal bone marrow from mutants, prominently from a mutant giant that was kept against his will. And then he had the bone marrow turned into a drug called designer genes, G-E-N-E-S, which would grant power to its users temporarily. So it's very much like a derivative of mutant growth hormone. He then started working to eliminate other drug cartels while employing former agents of Hydra and AIM. In a battle with the X-Men in Cuba, Vanisher tried to kill Wolverine and Iceman before disappearing. After some kids overdosed on designer genes, the X-Men went after the Vanisher, who was disabled by Stacy X's pheromone powers, giving the X-Men time to buy out his empire. And there's a 
he's like in the hot tub with Stacey X and like a whole bunch of time passes. And then like when he comes out of this trance, he's like, what? My empire's gone. Later, Vanisher stole a vial of the legacy virus, but he was attacked by the Marauders and lost the vial. X-Force went after Vanisher with a series of attacks, spreading their members to his various safe houses so that he was brutally attacked wherever he teleported. In the end, Elixir cured Vanisher's injuries, but also gave him an inoperable brain tumor that he would only cure if Vanisher would help the team, which he did for a time before being cured. Vanisher then took a gig working with Ezekiel Stain and the Fenris twins, who are Nazis, in order to invade Wakanda, which is the ultimate colonialism story. Uh, during this, he fought Misty Knight briefly. He was then hired by Cardiac to steal Vibranium out of Wakanda, but he was defeated by the White Tiger, Casper uh, Cole, who used Vibranium to block Vanisher's powers. Uh, this is in Uncanny X-Men Annual 2001, which, Noel, you can corroborate, is a very hard book to read because of the way the layout is. It's difficult. Also in Uncanny X-Men 408, 409, X-Force Volume 3, 7, and 8, Black Panther Volume 6, Number 7, and Black Panther World of Wakanda, Number 6. Let me turn it over to Noel. All right. So for the prosecution... It's pretty easy in this section. Not gonna lie, Vanisher's getting up to some pretty diabolical shit. Um, he does become a drug lord, and he's peddling a lethal drug, which is bad enough. But he's also torturing mutants in order to make the drug. So kind of ups the evil factor. I'm not a doctor, but I have heard that bone marrow uh, removal is pretty painful. So I would imagine spinal bone marrow is even more painful. Uh, especially when it's not voluntary. Like, it's bad enough when you're doing that for a family member to help them. Um, and he, it also seems like the drug is targeted at, targeted at, like, teenagers, young adults. So I would imagine these are people under 25 whose brains are not done developing to, like, understand the potential consequences and fatality that's involved in a lot of this drug use. Um, then he steals the legacy virus. I don't know why, um, but I feel like whatever it is, we, it's safe to assume that there's like some attempted genocide plan involved. Why else are you stealing that? Um, and then he he sucks at this job, so it immediately falls into the hands of the marauders. Not great um, to be bad at stealing the legacy virus. And so in that, I think it's kind of easy to understand. That's when X-Force gets involved why they might be willing to be so cruel to him, give him a brain tumor and place him under involuntary servitude. He just tried to steal the legacy virus. Um, and then he starts messing with Wakanda where a bunch of white dudes are trying to take over the country. Uh, attempted colonization, I feel like exceeds the level of a felony. Uh, this should be like some international crime. And then he uses his powers to steal vibranium from Wakanda a successful colonization effort, even though they do get the vibranium back. So overall, he's just on like a villainous rampage with no mitigation here from the prosecution. As a defense, um, the best thing I can come up with for Mr. Porter is that he is incompetent. Uh, almost none of his plans actually come to fruition. And the one that does, the designer genes drug, is pretty easily foiled. Uh, it, it is a very funny scene when um, the X-Men just sort of buy him out as he wakes up two weeks later after his little orgy period with uh, CCX. It's, it's a pretty good scene. 
Um, he also loses the legacy virus, so we don't even know what his ultimate plan was. The vibranium ends up right back in Wakanda. And even when he is the drug lord, like he's relying on already established criminal infrastructure. He doesn't actually manage to build anything himself. Uh, so he, yeah, the only defense is he kind of sucks at being the villain and um, just runs away from his problems. Did you say incompetent or incontinent? I'm just kidding. Incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> The Wakanda story, I, I mean, Ta-Nehisi Coates writes this story and he's allied himself with a white billionaire from America and some Nazis. It's a very reprehensible story, but it's actually a pretty good read. If you haven't read Ta-Nehisi Coates' Black Panther, it is well worth it. Uh, what thoughts and or questions do, uh, do the jury members have on this section? No, I mean, there's really no rationale for the... Sorry. Go Hussein and then Alicia. I'm just saying there was no rationale for him taking the legacy virus. He was hired. I didn't catch it. He was hired to steal it. That's that's well, we don't know why though. Yeah, that's the vibe. Okay. Probably by strife. Like let's be real. Probably I think it was by the purifiers, is what's hinted. Uh but I'd have to go back and read. It's been a bit of course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that just takes it to a whole nother level. I mean, I just I was gonna say pretty much like torturing people and working directly with Nazis just makes you an instant yeah bad 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 guy like you're you're off the charts there you've you've reached the maximum sentencing in my opinion I just revisited my notes so the group that hired him to steal the legacy virus was a mysterious group but this is during the era when X-Force was slaughtering the purifiers everywhere so I think it was implied to be the purifiers which is again, well, <laughs> yeah. this is this, this is Vanisher's bad bad era. He's not yes. he's not a good guy in this section. That's like taking sentinels and turning sentinels on mutants like to the next level. Like you're helping yeah. the purifiers. Like yeah, this what are you doing, man? All everything in this is the worst that I can think of. Honestly, like I normally don't go for a five on this show, but this one is really pushing the limit so i'm gonna make the automatic assumption we're all voting five here please raise your hand if you are not <laughs> it's fives for all of us fives across the board fives uh, all around Worked which, with Nazis. which gives us a 30 out of 30 in this section the math here then gives us uh at, uh, the total from the three sections uh vanisher being an 87 percent on the asshole scale which is very appropriate i think uh any comments on the vanisher before we move on to our second half yeah, Work I feel with like Nazis that... to invade Wakanda is like ad libbing bad things you could do. <laughs> Fenris is the worst. Gross. Yeah. It, it just feels like he he left his lane. You know, he wasn't just trying to steal some stuff and take care of himself. He was trying to do bigger stuff, and the bigger stuff was just worse and worse and worse. So I'm hanging out with first appearance vanisher and fallen angels vanisher. We're just stealing some stuff. We're just stealing some. No Nazis involved, man. That's messed up. No although I, gods. Get out of here. Although I do like his his tattooed look. He looks way cooler. <laughs> yeah, the tattooed look is a huge improvement from the guy who I consistently mistake for either Mesmero or King Cobra. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on to the second section. We're going to talk about Eunice the Untouchable, who is a character no one really thinks about ever, I feel. Nothing really prominent has ever been done with this guy, except for a couple of one-off key stories. 
On the cover of X-Men number eight, we get Eunice the Untouchable, a buff man all in red with a spidery looking image. Uh, kind of, it's like his classic. It kind of looks like a, like a menorah a little bit. Yeah, it, it looks a little bit like some representations from uh, the Baltic states of like Christmas ornamentation and like like the Christmas tree, but also like trees in general and candlesticks. Yeah. But it's, like never, it's never really been identified. It's just kind I of- I tried to figure it out. <laughs> so it with him. All five X-Men on the cover are bouncing off of him, implying his impenetrable force field. He's been working as a wrestler, shirtless, mind you, where he's been become uh, known as an unbeatable, unconquerable foe, facing new champions who uh, will pay you $100 if you can last in the, in the ring against Eunice the Untouchable, and he beats them every time. He beats, uh, he fights Beast in the ring briefly. Then he tries joining the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. But after a fight with the X-Men, his force field goes out of control because Beast has built a power boosting gun that causes his force field to extend out of control. So he can't touch anything, even food. Uh, the idea of his force field going out of control ends up getting used again and again with this character. The power of Eunice's force field fluctuates. Sometimes it hugs his skin tightly. Other times he can extend it around him in wider fields that goes pretty far off of him, creating like a, a big force bubble. Uh, when he loses control of it, he can starve to death because he can't touch food, or he can even lose the ability to draw oxygen in through the field. This complication with his power has killed him twice. And he has potentially passed his powers on to two different children, but we've never quite found out for sure if they are his kids. One of them is Jared Corbeau, or Radius, from the second volume of Alpha Flight. The other is Carmela Unicione of the Acolytes, who is a character that I love. In the Marvel handbooks, we learn that Eunice was born in Italy years ago with the name Angelo Unicione. And his powers manifested in his teenage years. He used them to commit crimes and bully others. He later moved to America and changed his name to Gunther Bain and became a costumed wrestler named Eunice the Untouchable. If he keeps his force field close to his skin, nobody can hurt him and nobody knows he has the force field. So he seems unstoppable to audiences. Eunice does not have many close relationships, but the cutest one is the, his relationship with the blob. On the podcast, we've talked about them potentially being in a romantic relationship, but it's never confirmed. They meet in the wrestling ring when being manipulated by Lucifer. And they go off to rob banks together while dressed like the X-Men. Later, when Eunice's powers flare out of control, Blob fights the Hulk to defend Eunice. And he later fights Spider-Man and the Black Cat to do the same in order to protect his friend. But Eunice dies, and Blob grieves so hard that he sits in a crowded street full of traffic, just sobbing. Somehow, Eunice survived, and he was on Genosha when the Sentinels raised it, which killed millions of mutants, but he survived due to his force field. He ranted a little bit insane that he'd felt the ghosts of the Genosian mutants pass through him. We even saw Eunice as a gang leader on Genosha, crossing paths with authorities, and he worked for bo both for and against the new government under Magneto and Xavier as it settled. After the events of M-Day, Eunice lost his powers and he remained on Genosha. When the Inhumans visited the nation, Quicksilver used his Terrigen Mist Touch to try and restore their powers. He touched Eunice, whose force field soon flared out of control, and he died, again, unable to breathe. Twice. Eunice was revived during Selene's massive uh, Necrotia event when she brought all those mutants back from the dead. Uh, he has been on Krakoa, and he's been featured prominently in a couple of key missions, including during X of Swords. 
Uh, but we don't see a lot of this guy's inner life, relationships, or, or history outside of some of the crimes he commits from time to time, which we'll cover in the trial section. Let me hear your thoughts on Eunice, his powers, his motivations, his uh, relationship with Blob. Uh, what are your thoughts on this guy? What do you like or dislike? I like this guy because he's just a dude who seems kind of dumb, and he goes around just like he does one thing and it's Rob Banks with a baseball bat, you know, like it's, it's kind of cute. And <laughs> like, I like that he's going around and he's just like, yeah, I, I you know, I tried the whole conquest thing. I tried everything, being a super villain or whatever, but you know, I'm just real good at Robin Banks. Nobody can touch me. I like him automatically because he's a wrestler character in a superhero comic, which is always something that gets me. You know, I'm a big D-Man fan. I love every character who was a wrestler in Marvel Comics. And um, I love that Stanley just and Jack Kirby just keep creating and using these characters who get it, do the obvious thing and get into the wrestling ring and work in kayfabe. And I'm always astounded when I read these stories. And it's like Stanley is very clearly like giving away the game. It's like these wrestlers are pretending to be villains. And I'm like, shut up. They're kids reading these. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the Unis is just a character that jumps out at me for that reason. Like he's he's a he's a circus wrestler who seemingly falls in love with a Carney strongman in in the Blob. You know, they have they they have a like a really nice scene in their first meeting where uh, the Blob is like, "Hey, how's about we get some coffee? And we find out what else we have in common after they find out they're both mutants." Come back to my place sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he does. Yeah, they're they're mutants, they're carnies, they're criminals, and they're just like average Joes who don't really know how to make an honest living outside of you know crime and circus acts. Oh, circus acts are honest living to some degree. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Just something about them really uh, warms my heart. And he's a funny character. He's he's arrogant. He's extremely confident. But like, why wouldn't he be? He's like living his heel persona as a wrestler. Um, and he gets to do that all the time against brightly colored antagonists in the streets. So to him, it, it all feels like it's a little bit like a continuation of his career. He's just having some fun. I really sympathize with him not being able to eat. Really, the biggest thing that stood out to me was like, you are obviously you're going to be evil and do crimes when you're hangry because you can't eat and you have no control over when that will stop or start again. You know, that's. That's a rough life to be. That's a difficult position to be in. And and who did that to him? Who must he exact his revenge on? The X-Men. The X-Men. Beast specifically. Beast. Yeah. This, when we review X-Men 8 on my podcast, way back in the early episodes, we talk about this is kind of Beast's first, like, oh, he stepped over the line moment where he designs this gun that makes Eunice's powers go out of control. Then Eunice can't eat and may not be able to breathe. And it's kind of that first sign of like 1964, like Beast. Uh, going a little too far. Yeah, this is a little too close to Forge's power depowering gun. Like, it's crazy that the other mutants don't go like, you made this what? This gun that will essentially do like the legacy virus to people? <laughs> people should be a little bit more concerned that B still has that gun. Yeah. Other thoughts on Eunice? I just love the idea of his power set. And I... You know, I, I want to know kind of what they could do with it besides them being untouchable. I think it's just such a cool set. Yeah, like how often, far can it expand? Yeah, it's interesting how often okay. power sets get used. And again, they're different visuals each time. So Eunice versus uh, Eunusion or or his potential daughter from the Acolytes who has like that green exoskeleton. And then we've got Skids who has kind of more the flowy, 
line uh, around her for her force field. Uh, we've got Radius, his son, who has kind of a, uh, uh, it's a little closer to the skids portrayal. Uh, and then we've got uh, Dr. Reyes, Cecilia Reyes, who has like the skin type force field as well. But it's a little different because her power will reflect things back on others, even though she still feels the pain. So it's like a little bit different version of the same power. And we get to see that again and again, because uh, there's so many mutants. <laughs> you can only come up with so many. There's there's like 12 people who can phase through things and like 15 shapeshifters. <laughs> like, <laughs> so many telepaths. But and he can't extend it, right? He can't bring someone else into his force field like Skids can. We've I don't think we've ever seen him use his force field to protect others, except maybe in X of Swords. But I have to go back and read it again. But in uh in the issue, in one issue, he does expand it. When they're fighting the Hulk, he and Blob, he he expands it out so it's like the size of like a circus big top. It like becomes really huge because he's he's panicking and his power expands way beyond himself. Uh, do you guys know the character Radius or uh, or Unision? Any thoughts on those two potentially being his children? I like uh, Unision as an acolyte. She was always fun. Uh, unfortunately, it never seems clear that she's actually his daughter. But like, I mean that that name stands out in the Marvel. She's a character I really love, and I don't There's, even. Know I don't know her. if that's a real name in real life. Uh, maybe it is. Maybe it is. What? I said she's a character yeah, I really love, but I don't know why. I like that she has a representation of her powers that isn't just invisible, like when it says this, like uh, she's got that green energy cage that forms around her. Is it green? I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's like a green exoskeleton. It's cool. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, okay, well, let's jump into the trial section. We just have two points on him. He does not have an extensive comic book history. Uh, Steve is the assigned, assigned jury member for this first section, which we just call criminal activity. In an attempt to join the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Eunice the Untouchable dons a new costume and robs a bank, and he's thrilled to fight the X-Men when they show up. Beast uses a ray to increase Eunice's powers to the point where he can't eat or touch anyone. Eunice's pro Eunice promises to quit becoming involved in criminal activities if Beast will restore his power control, which he does. Later, Eunice was influenced by Lucifer, the alien quist guy who paralyzed Professor X, into teaming up with the Blob to rob a bank dressed as the X-Men. Later, still while being in, after being imprisoned, Eunice breaks free of his chains and tries to escape, but Doc Samson, of all people, gets him to surrender after a brief battle. Uh, soon free, Eunice uses a baseball bat to rob a lunch counter in New York City, easily repelling bullets and fists that are tossed his way. He soon battles Iron Fist and Power Man, but they trick him into turning off his force field and then defeating him. And this might be my favorite Eunice story, by the way, uh, this uh, this issue or the, the battle we just referenced. For reasons, Eunice attacks the X-Men's new school where he's fighting Spider-Man and the X-Men together, but he's defeated when Spider-Man's webbing gets stuck to his force field and covers it up. There's a couple Eunice appearances all stacked up together. The key issues here are X-Men number eight and 20, Incredible Hulk annual number one, Excuse me, Incredible Hulk Annual number 11 in the second story, Power Man and Iron Fist number 90, and Spider-Man and the X-Men number one. Let me turn it over to Steve. All right. Uh, yeah, I'll start with the prosecution. There's a number of things in here that are clearly criminal activities. Like, we can all list bank robbery as an obvious criminal activity, you know, um, armed robbery with a baseball bat. Whether or not a baseball bat is, like, that 
series of a weapon in the Marvel universe. It is in his hands and, you know, it's armed robbery and it's armed robbery of banks and it's armed robbery of lunch counters and candy stores. It, basically that that's what Unis does. Like that is, that's Unis's mode of operation. Unis is not really interested in a lot more. Um, these are obviously criminal acts, you know, under, under the United States law. Um, that's about as much as I could say about them. I think the, the real, the real thing that you could hold against Unis, especially in this section, is that his stated intentions for when he first becomes a supervillain, quote unquote, he he doesn't. This is actually very nice. He doesn't actually rob a bank. Uh, somebody else is robbing a bank, and then he robs the bank robbers, uh, which which is like a very fun way to become a supervillain or maybe a superhero. Um, but you know. He's, he intends to keep the money for personal gain, but what he's really trying to do is attract the attention of the X-Men so that he can defeat or kill one of the X-Men in order to join Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. He needs to prove himself to join. So he wants to join the Brotherhood. He wants to defeat a member of the X-Men, not necessarily kill, but defeat a member of the X-Men in order to prove his worth into it. As a wrestler, as somebody comes from that background, you know, like I, I get where he would be coming from. Maybe he's thinking... Oh, well, I just need to defeat a member of the enemy so I can join this faction, so then I'll be more powerful and I'll be with others like me, other mutants, you know? I can kind of understand that line of thinking, to be honest. Um, especially in a guy who is not super bright, as we'll see with Unis over and over. You know, he doesn't have large ambitions. He says conquest in this, and I think we should hold that against him. You know, he does in intend conquest, but I really think that's a way of him thinking to himself, that's what Magneto thinks is cool. If I say conquest around Magneto, he's going to let me in the club. Then we'll uh, but yeah, I mean, he he has stated intentions to do conquest with Magneto, which, depending on your opinion, I think Noel and I might have less strong opinions about that being a ba a bad thing in any way. But conquest of the human race, like that's like implied. So I think that people can hold that against students if they want to. But at the end of the day, this is a guy who doesn't really do much besides Rob Banks. I personally, I think honestly the strongest note against him is that he does rob a small business that is locally owned in the place where he lives. He robs a lunch counter and he robs a candy store. Uh, they're possibly the same place. Um, and they're in his local neighborhood, which is a very poor neighborhood. He lives in an absolutely terrible, like shitty apartment that is cracks in the walls and roaches everywhere. He's thinking about wanting to get out and like start a new life. Uh, and in his defense, I think that given the means and opportunity, Unis could go straight and you know learn to work an honest job, or at least he wants to at this time. Uh, and I think that should be taken into consideration when judging this man. Um, this is a man who clearly does not come from means. Uh, he was raised as a carny. He's a wrestler and a wrestler in the days when that didn't mean being in WWE. Obviously, that didn't exist at the time. Um, back in the old territory days, you know, he was just out there eking a living, living in his terrible apartment. I think his greatest crime really is that he, after unsuccessfully and successfully robbing a few banks, he, he turned his attention towards armed robbery of a local small business in his town. Um, people who are not, people who are not deserving of being robbed. I will just go ahead and say it. Banks deserve to be robbed. You can tell the judge I said it was all right, but <laughs> The lunch counter, it's just its just a crime against like local people who are also just trying to struggle and they're trying to do it the honest way. And they live in your neighborhood, man. Like that's It's so insulting. Um, so my prosecution hinges entirely on this 
basically a crime of polity against your neighbor, which I think I think is a greater crime sometimes, or maybe even always, than robbing a bank. Um, and then robbing banks in general. In his defense, he's a man who does not have ambitions for real world conquest, genocide, murder, um, selling drugs to kids. None of that is interesting to Unis. All Unis wants is some money so that he can kind of like improve his circumstances a little bit and, you know, maybe get somewhere in the world of wrestling. It's cute how affectionate you are for this character's Steve. <laughs> I, I think really like it. It's cute. Yeah, yeah I but really like it. It's that, very... that Power Man and Iron Fist uh, issue, by the way, I gotta say, is my favorite appearance of him. He's so fun in that issue. He has so much fun, like, bantering with Luke and with uh, Iron Fist. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy. Uh, Kurt Busey Daddy. Daddy. that story. It's a lot of fun. And then that Blob Eunice relationship, we, yeah, we've talked about it a few times. I remember having a discussion with Anthony Oliveira about them. It, they're, they're cute. They're just so <laughs> cute together. <laughs> they're, they're carnies, they're supervillains, they're criminals, they're mutants, they're men, and they're also smokers. They have so much in common. <laughs> Thoughts on this section and or questions? No. It seems pretty, pretty straightforward information. No, I don't have any. Not that bad. I don't need to clarify anything. I feel indifferent. Yeah, his appearance in Spider-Man and the X-Men is almost a non-appearance. I was surprised at it because he's only in the first few pages. And we don't even know if he's doing a crime. The X-Men show up to Unis and he's like, I'm going to defeat you, X-Men. And then they web him up while Spider-Man webs him up. And that's the end of it. Yeah. It's, it's like a one page one panel kind of thing did he, did he do anything did they just assault him on the street i don't know <laughs> i got the vibe that he was robbing that armored car but I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. in character <laughs> uh well let's vote in this section then alicia yeah i mean i'm gonna go three because crimes are crimes but these are baby crimes so they're definitely inappropriate but they're just babies uh noelle I'm going to go too. Yeah, I'm just not super convinced that he's too terrible. Two for me as well. Uh, Justin? It's a three for me. I mean, he's at least trying to do bad stuff. It's just not really that bad, but it's morally concerning. And Hussein? Three for me just because of the local crime. And Steve? Yeah, it's a two for me. It would have been a one, but the local crime brought it to a two. <laughs> So this is a 15 out of 30, and we will go to our final trial point, which is uh, Justin's section. We're going to call this group efforts. Eunice joined together with the group Factor 3, seeking to conquer humanity through war. But after the leader of Factor 3 was revealed to be an alien conqueror, he sided with the X-Men and turned against them. Later, Eunice joined together with the Blob and Mastermind, informing a new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. In one caper, they purchased captive X-Men from a mutant named Kruger, and the team made nefarious plans, but Kruger shut off their powers and turned against them. In another, they tried forcing the Greyfurred Beast to join them in stealing a diamond and ended up battling the Beast before they were defeated. Magneto then took over the Brotherhood and they battled Professor X and the Defenders while Magneto built Alpha, the ultimate mutant. The Professor tried demanding the mutants be given their own, excuse me, the Brotherhood tried demanding that mutants be given their own country at the United Nations and they fought the Defenders again. But in the end, Alpha turned against the group, including Eunice, uh, and turned them into babies. They got better later. Eunice was a cute baby, by the way. 
Uh, Eunice then joined the group in a plot to lure the champions into a trap against the Sentinels repurposed by the Vanisher referenced earlier, but they were quickly defeated. Key issues here are X-Men 37 through 39, X-Men The Hidden Years 11 through 14, Amazing Adventures 12 and 13, Defenders 15 and 16, and Champions 17. And I want to note out loud this should be the last time we cover the Factor 3 and or Brotherhood Alpha Mutant stories uh, in the trial portions of this podcast. <laughs> we've, we've hit all the characters now. Let me turn it over to Justin. So say, I, yeah, Alpha, Alpha keeps coming back. Yeah. We're, we'll we're going to do reviews of those issues eventually, but that should be the last time in the trial. <laughs> uh, I kind of merged my prosecution and defense together. So I'm going to say what I think about what we've just heard. And you take from that what you will. I want to talk about my boy, Eunice. The henchman among his peers. Never a leader, rarely even a contributor, just someone who's there and pushes people away. With today's trial, we've examined all four of these villains. They all know who they are. They know what they're doing. And the fact that they're constantly teaming up for it only makes it worse. But the main crime before us is that they never learn their lesson. In the early X-Men team up, this group moves with a shared trauma bonding them. They've all been wronged by the X-Men. Having been defeated, driven by examples of great mutant leaders like Magneto before them, Eunice and his friends decide to liberate the mutant people. Yes, their approach in trying to conquer humanity is a far step in the wrong direction, but they are trying to find a place for their own while disarming humans of their weapons of mass destruction. We do find out why they take this course of action. They're being manipulated by an alien force and recognizing that true villain, they join forces with the X-Men and collaborate. Angel even encourages Eunice mid-fight to, and I quote, slug him one for me. Wow, he's got Angel's backing. That's a great nod. Now to address some time lost in the hidden years, as someone who has an obsession with collecting, I can understand where the Brotherhood comes from in trying to complete their set of X-Men, right? They're trying to collect. It's not admirable, but being pushed into this action by constant defeat, I see where they're coming from. I would like to point out that Eunice is in no way a ringleader here or otherwise. In fact, he displays excellent teammanship with his other members of the Brotherhood performing distractions to get the upper hand on Kruger, a man who is trafficking captured superheroes. Maybe he's the one we should be putting on trial. Some of the worst actions in this period of time don't even involve Eunice as Blob and Mastermind attack an unconscious Jean Grey. Eunice is nowhere to be seen. He's barely even involved in this plot other than just a set of hands. He's who Blob sends in when he's too big for the boat. Against the Beast, his worst actions could be described as taunting. Never a front man, never a controlling force, always a lackey amongst his presumed equals. He barely even swings at Beast. He teams up with the Blob to launch Hank into the sky. And isn't that just the best combo move ever? I will hold it against Eunice that he does say indeedy do, and that's a crime. <laughs> I won't let that slide. Finally, with Magneto and Alpha, a pawn in the larger scheme, a support player, not making decisions, barely even making a physical impact. Eunice is someone who wants to be with people who accept him. He's someone who physically can't get close to people and that's all that he's looking for, a group who he can work with. Let's see. Beautifully <laughs> stated. Uh, excellent, excellent. Uh, what 
questions and or comments in this section do we have? I feel like Eunice is so great on his own, and then he can't help but get into trouble when he's in a group because he's with groups who want to do like bad shit that's way beyond what he would normally do. I love him and Blob in the Amazing Adventures stories when they're fighting Beast. I really like that story. I'm, I'm an Amazing Adventures fan. There's a moment where they squeeze Beast between them, and he just like shoots out of them like he's soap being squeezed between two hands. It's incredible. They even make that. They even explicitly state that. It's like, yeah, this is the move we talked about. <laughs> Let's push our stuff. No, it feels together. like something with a little bit of practice behind it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any, answer to the fastball special. Any questions on <laughs> this section? Uh, Justin, rereading X Men: The Hidden Years. Did it hold up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have every yeah. issue of X Men: The Hidden Years. I don't know why. I just got really into it. I was excited about it. Uh, it, it I mean, it's it's good it, uh, in that you bounce bounce around to a lot of different stories. The art is great, um, and and you just get it's like imitation 60s it, it holds up it holds up well enough i'm gonna cover the whole series in one episode on my podcast next year i i, I can't do 22 episodes of the hidden years. i just can't do it <laughs> uh okay well let's vote in this section i'm gonna go first here it is i'm tempted to go with a real low number because it's the last time i have to talk about factor three on my podcast i i i'm very very excited about that i get to finally move past that fucking story uh but i'm gonna go with a two in this section the factor three stuff could shoot it up a little bit for me but i don't i Eunice was kind of mm, peripheral almost in a lot of these stories uh he was following the evil of other men like mastermind or the mutant master uh yeah he's fine he's fine uh alicia what's your vote okay so i was gonna go too and then justin said indeed he do and that for me is the complete opposite of a crime therefore i shall vote one <laughs> <laughs> indeed he do you shall <laughs> noel i'm gonna go too he's just he's not the ringleader he's there uh Hussein? Uh Two. I don't know what he's doing here, but I don't think there's anything he's responsible for. <laughs> Steve. Yeah, it's a two for me for exactly the same reasons as above. There's nefarious things going on, but is Eunice really a part of it or is he just at the same party? And right. Then, and then just wrong place. He he might as well have just been standing there while they were doing the stuff. Right. He's just there. Yes, it's morally concerning that he continues to be there, but Yeah. Hey, at least he's at least the Fenris twins aren't there, right? Like, they're not just standing right. next to them. Standing next to some more appropriate people. Yeah, it's a two for me. Uh, which gives us an 11 out of 30. We were much kinder to this character uh, than <laughs> Vanisher. Uh, that gives him a 43%, uh, which is one of the lower scores. He scored <laughs> the same uh, area as Juggernaut did. Uh, <laughs> With these trials, it's really fun for me to balance the really dense characters like Havoc out with uh, the kind of light, fluffy research that <laughs> requires things like Eunice and Banisher. Uh, so thank you for all for uh, investing in these lesser known characters for uh, or with me today. Uh, there's a lot of uh, lesser known mutants. There's a lot of underutilized villains. But what makes these two characters unique is they are the ones from the very beginning that are used the least often. Uh, Blob and Toad, we got to do their trials. Uh, Mastermind has been used a lot, but these two have not been used a ton. So it was interesting to delve into them and kind of fill in the blanks a little bit. I'm very fond of both characters and would love to see them used more. 
As we are wrapping up, recognizing that this episode is coming out on December 3rd. So we're recording a few weeks in advance so I can take a break during the holidays, which is going to be very nice. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug for each of our guests? And any final thoughts you want to share on Vanisher and or Eunice the Untouchable as we are wrapping up? On Grey Malkin Lane, uh, you can find us on Grey Malkin PP Like Podcast on Twitter, assuming there's still a Twitter in December. Grey Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. I keep my own, keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos. Our next episode after this one, we are going to be interviewing the incredible editor, Sarah Brunstad. I'll be joined by Steve Fox and Jason Muir. Uh, and we're going to be reviewing X-Men Spider-Man number one, uh, which is uh, going to be a crazy battle involving Craven the Hunter and Blob fighting the X-Men in the 1960s with a special appearance by Mr. Sinister. Uh, the next Patreon episode coming out right after this is going to be the character Scarecrow uh, with the incredible writer Clay McLeod Chapman. Uh, it's going to be a ton of fun, so watch out for both of those. Uh, Justin and Alicia, would you like to go first as we're doing our outros? Sure. You can find us all over the internet at The Ex-Wife Podcast, T-H-E-X-W-I-F-E, as in uh, X-Men, not former wife. And um, if you want to follow my cosplay adventures, you can follow me at Wilder Moves. Um, and at uh, that time, we will be diving into Dark Web, which mm -hmm. will just kick off. It's a Spider-Man and X-Men crossover, kind of the actual sequel to Inferno rather than the in-name title from the year prior. So, And um, on the day, I believe that this episode will be coming out, I will be involved in a Hellfire Gala event at LA Comic-Con. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And check that out. Yeah. Wonderful. I can't wait. I love your podcast. I love the both of you. Thanks for being here. Let's go to my friend Hussein Rashid next. Uh, yeah, just I'm going to plug my book again, Miss Marvel's America, No Normal. I'm going to keep doing this um, until people buy enough that I can retire. So please <laughs> go do that. Make it easy for everybody. Um, I'm on Twitter, as Chad said, as long as it's still around, at Yankee, I-S-L-A-M-O-Y-N-K-E-E. -E. And uh, last bit of advice is beware Telford Elon Porter. Because I've now discovered what the E stands for. <laughs> no! I mean, it makes sense, but no! <laughs> uh, we'll go to Noelle next. Yes, I'm uh, Noelle. I'm on Twitter for as long as it lasts, at L Unraveled, E-L-L-E Unraveled. Um, my podcast is on a break until the beginning of the year, so nothing new there, but you can always check out the old episodes. And finally, Steve. Yes, hello. It's me, Steve. And you can find me. <laughs> hello, Steve. <laughs> I start every podcast with that. Uh, you can listen to me over at X's for Podcasts on Twitter, and you can hear me say, hello, it's me, Steve, every single episode that I appear on. Uh, we will be covering Dark Web as well by the time this comes out. Uh, I have, in this year of our Lord 2022, become a huge Spider-Man fan uh, as somebody who just wasn't before <laughs> so things have changed i'm very very much looking forward to that and um i don't know i don't know if i'll be covering it but we'll see i will be talking about it on twitter where you can find me at howdy duda that's h-o-w-d-y-d-u-d-a and i have the same handle on tumblr because twitter might be burning down so i am back on tumblr at howdy duda and also at 30 year old goth team which is 
just a little Count Dracula blog that failed. You can check it out if you want. There will be no updates. <laughs> uh, what a delightful afternoon. I loved hanging out with each of you. Thank you for sharing your time and talents as always. Uh, at the end of the episodes, I always announce the next one. Uh, at the beginning of the year, Graham and Lane's going through some programmatic changes. We are slowing down the output a bit, but still putting out a ton of quality content. And when I say a bit, I just mean a bit. We're still going to be doing a lot. Uh, and still monthly trials, which will, uh, in the new year, come out on the fourth Thursday of every month, Thanksgiving style. So uh, we'll be watching for that. There'll be consistent release dates. Uh, the character we'll be reviewing next is uh, Banshee, Mr. Sean Cassidy. And I'm so sad. It'll be the first trial Noelle has ever missed. <laughs> we will miss you. I could sonic wow. scream. A trial without <laughs> Noelle? I know. Well, that means that. I'm out too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we've got stuff coming up after that that I'm already hard at work on uh, in November. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will see you back here next time on Grey Malkin Lane. Thank you for listening to Grey Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Grey Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.